Well, good evening. We are so glad you're here with us tonight for the deconordination of four men. The four men we'll be ordaining tonight are uh, listed there in your program, but let me identify them. Uh, tonight, uh, Riverview Baptist Church will be ordaining to the office of deacon Tim Badalato, uh, Jed Graham, Alan Walgaman. I'm making sure they're all here. Uh, and Nathan Bechtold. We are thankful. Rex, come on forward. We're thankful for uh, your presence here tonight as we celebrate with both these men and their families and this church. Uh, I'm going to ask Rex Morrison to come now. He's going to offer our uh, opening prayer here. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this evening bringing these men before you to offer them up for service in your kingdom. We have, over a period of time, have talked to these men and questioned these men, and we feel that they are a worthy sacrifice to your kingdom. Lord, I pray for a blessing of this evening service and the procedure, and I ask that not only tonight go well, but that these men's service are blessed for years to come. I thank you for your grace and your kindness. Amen. One of the qualifications was that all four men uh, lead a song tonight. So, oh, okay, no, no, never mind. Uh, but if you go ahead and, and stand, we're going to sing Come People of the Risen King.
arms with full or empty hands find the riches of his grace over all the world his people sing joy to shore we hear them call the truth of christ through every age our god is all in all rejoice rejoice let every tongue rejoice, one heart, one voice, O Church of Christ, rejoice, 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 let every tongue rejoice, one heart, one voice, O Church of Christ, The uh, deacon body has met and questioned these four young men. And, uh, I, you know, Jed, you do qualify as a young man. I, you know, you still do. Uh, and uh, we found them uh, fully qualified. Uh, we just would like to take this time to, to recommend them uh, to be ordained as deacons. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim. And uh, we, in a few moments, will enter into a formal time of business um, where we as a church will officially vote. And so I want you to be ready for that in a few moments. If you're looking at your program, you'll notice there, down there, you see business session. And so in a few moments, you're going to be asked to give your approval of these men as members of this church. Those of you that are members of our body will be asked to vote in that way. And so what we're going to do next is we don't want you to vote just based on our deacons and just their recommendation. We want you to hear for yourself each of their testimonies. And so in just a moment, we'll follow the order here. Tim, Jed, Allen, and Nathan will all come forward and give their testimonies about how they came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And then you're going to hear a formal time of interrogation where I ask them some theological questions and I ask them to uh, reflect and share on what their convictions are. And all of that will be done with an eye towards you as a body, affirming these men into the office of deacon. So please listen to these men as they share their testimonies. Please listen as they respond uh, to the interrogation that I'll be giving, which sounds very intense, but uh, it won't be too bad, I don't think. But please listen with open mind and open heart to these men as they share. So Tim Badalotta, why don't you come first and share your testimony about how you became a Christian. Um, okay. So I get to go first, so that means, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm going to try not to freeze up too much, so, all right. Uh, my testimony, um, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and, uh, very grateful to my parents, um, to, for, for kind of influencing me in that way with the Bible and, um, you know, but I, I never really fit in uh, at church, at children's church and stuff growing up. I didn't really fit in at school. Um, I kind of felt alone as a child, um, just not fitting in and not really feeling like I had a place. Um, and, uh, and that kind of followed me into high school. Um, 
I remember just kind of feeling like an outsider, and that, that uh, you know, it, it brought me to a point where I was really depressed, and I remember um, turning to drugs, and I, I, turned to, uh, I turned to a lot of things. I mean, there was just emptiness in my life, and uh, I was just trying to find a place that I fit into, and I was trying to find, you know, what would fill me up and make me whole. And I, I tried everything, and, and uh, you know, I was really on a downward spiral in, in high school. And, uh, but I remember coming to a point where, um, you know, those things no, no longer really, you know, numbed me or, uh, you know, kind of helped me escape the pain. Um, and I remember I started searching for answers and, uh, um, I just, you know, I, I remembered at that point, I remember being a kid and, and hearing, um, you know, I knew enough about the Bible that if I asked myself if I was going to heaven or hell, uh, and, and I, I, there were a lot of points where I probably would have been dead. I mean, I had a lot of close calls and, um, I just felt like, you know, if I was going to die, it was going to be hell. And uh, that really kind of woke me up. And so I started searching for answers, and I literally got on Google and started searching. And uh, thankfully, it brought me to the gospel. And I read about how, um, you know, how I I lied, I cheated, I would stolen, I'd look with lust and hate, and uh, I'd done, you know, you name it. And I'd, I'd broken all of God's laws. And uh, I was guilty before him, and I, <laughs> I didn't have any excuses. You know, I knew I was going to hell, and the thing was, is I knew I deserved it. I knew I wasn't a good person, and, uh, you know, um, at that point, I was like, you know, felt hopeless, but I knew that I deserved it. I deserved God's wrath, and I deserved eternity in hell, but... I kept reading, and I read about Christ. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Um, I read about Christ coming to this earth, leaving paradise, dying on the cross, uh, taking the wrath, taking what I deserved on the cross. I should have been nailed to the cross, but Christ took that in my place. And uh, I didn't deserve it. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but Christ took my place, and it really brought me to my knees. You know, it broke me down, and uh, I was just broken before the Lord. And <laughs> I was a high school stoner. You know, I was, I was just like, you know, I drug you at that point, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, God radically transformed me. You know, he, I, before that, I didn't know what a Holy Spirit was, but I knew, I felt the Holy Spirit. It radically transformed me. I had a heart of stone, and it crushed the rock. It broke that heart of stone. Uh, any pride I had was, was gone. Lord, the Lord radically transformed me and delivered me, uh, you know, through a process of repentance and faith, God convicted me, 
and cleanse my heart over a very long process and a lot of failure. But, you know, I kept repenting and getting back up and, you know, shaking off the dust. And the Lord continues that work today. You know, I'm not perfect. God's still working in my life. And, uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Lord has blessed me with a beautiful wife, kids, and uh, I don't deserve any of it. Um, I'm, I'm thankful every day. And, uh, yeah, just, I think that's my testimony. Can we thank you? Go. Sorry. Thank you, Sean. Mr. Graham, please come forward. Share with us your testimony. Well, those of you who don't know me, I'm, my name is Jed Graham. And uh, I am uh, born and raised Kansas country boy. Any love for Kansas out there? There's, a, there's some Kansas love out there. Um, I was born, as, as Tim was, in a Christian home, uh, don't remember the first time I heard the name Jesus. Uh, it's just always been a part of my life. Um, I would say it was probably about the fourth grade that I realized and, and understood that um, all of sin, that all fall short of the glory of God. That included me. Um, and uh, at that point, I accepted Christ into my life and uh, <clears throat> realized that uh, Christ died on the cross and he rose on the third day, and that uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to, uh, to the Father except through, through him. Um, I felt that I was a, uh, walking with the Lord pretty good through uh, middle school years and, and doing a pretty good job uh, being a, a Christian, going to youth and, and doing some of those things. And... and uh, about high school, I felt like things really didn't go my way and uh, really, really kind of drifted away from the Lord. Not kind of, I really drifted away from the Lord. I started seeking happiness in my terms and wanting to, to just be fulfilled, uh, much as Tim did, uh, I would say. But, uh, but I, I had the truth already, and I was ignoring the Holy Spirit. Um, as uh, I got older, uh, uh, I, I would say I drifted through high school, through college for sure. And uh, shortly after college, uh, fell in love with my wife, Jenny. And uh, we began to seek happiness together under our terms as well. And uh, this is a, an amazing story of how God works, uh, even when we're not being obedient. Uh, uh, Jenny was lost, and uh, I was in love with her, and we got married. And But shortly after marriage, we, we realized that that uh, something was missing, and I, I knew what it was. And at that point, I, uh, I decided to lead, and I, I uh, told Jenny we needed to get involved in church. And this is about the time we moved from Kansas to Missouri. You, you guys uh, may appreciate that a little bit. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but um, uh, we came to, to Missouri, and uh, part of our 
transition here was a starting over, a clean slate. We wanted to uh, start fresh. We didn't know a soul in Missouri, and uh, we quickly got active in a church. And within a matter of weeks, uh, Jenny accepted Christ into her life, and uh, that was a, a huge moment in, in our lives. We we started to uh, grow together closer to the Lord, and and uh, after a few years, the Lord led us to Riverview, and uh, that was uh, an amazing time. We've since then we've really found a solid home, uh, a great family, and we're we're so thankful that we're here. That that uh, we uh, started a business during that time as well, and uh, that was another thing that I I kind of did for me. I I wanted to make money. I wanted to. I wanted to make people happy and, and have them be, be uh, satisfied with what I was doing for them. And uh, the Lord's blessed me. I, I've been successful in my business, been successful in my marriage. And um, it's amazing how the Lord works through our lives uh, when we're disobedient. He, this is how I know salvation happened uh, Back in the fourth grade, I'll, I'll come back to that. When I realized, I, when I came to Riverview, I was challenged to seek out, did salvation happen then? You know, uh, and um, I came to the understanding that it truly did. I, I was being tugged by the Holy Spirit the whole time. Uh, he was pulling me back, and I was ignoring. And year after year after year, I ignored that tug. But uh, he brought me back. He uh, led my wife to Christ, and I now see how even my business is is was part of His plan. As as that, uh, how many connections we've made, how many people we've met. We lead the young adult life group ministry here, and um, that's a, a key piece that the Lord's using for our ministry. And I'm I'm so thankful that I I see how God's been working in my life, even when I wasn't doing it. So thank you. All right, Mr. Walgamot, please come forward, share with us. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Alan Wolgamut. Uh, I've been coming here for about three or so years. Um, Tim talked about not fitting in when he grew up. Well, uh, I have a picture that proves that I fit in less than he did growing up. Um, so, yeah. You're welcome, Spencer. Keep that up there. Keep that up there. That's an albino child yeah, in the middle, uh, I think. I'm turning my mic yes, off Yes, I now. was a minority. Um, no, in all seriousness, though, I've heard Tim's testimony multiple times. Uh, we went to Thailand together last year, and we were practicing it and preparing for the trip, and we had to give it in front of people and stuff. And Tim's is one of my favorite testimonies I've ever heard. It's, it's just he's so passionate about it, and you can tell the grip that the sin had on his life and the freedom that he's experienced through that, and I really appreciate that about you, Tim. Um, I grew up in the mission field. Uh, my parents were missionaries overseas in the pop, um, mission field of Papua New Guinea. I was born there, and I was raised there. Um, this gave me a lot of unique um, experiences. I was surrounded by some very incredibly godly, uh, well-grounded uh, Christians, missionaries that have given up 
tons to be overseas to spread uh, God's word. Um, I was also surrounded by incredibly lost people who um, worshipped idols daily, worshipped spirits daily. Uh, this was part of their lives. This was part of everything they did. And it was just absolutely incredible to see uh, both sides of it so plainly and so obviously um, throughout daily life. And just seeing the difference in people's lives and when Satan had a hold of them and gripping them with the spiritual realm as opposed to when God had a hold of people's lives and just the peace and safety it gave them. Uh, I heard the gospel a lot um, from different missionaries and stuff. And, you know, my parents um, teaching in our tribe. Um, my parents were very faithful in teaching us and having family devotions and it was at one of those nights when I was like five or six that I realized that it wasn't just something that happened and you know it just happened and we just take it for granted and we're saved no it's something that happened and there's still a choice that you have to make I still had to make a choice to believe that Christ died on the cross for me um and that I was lost without him. There was nothing I could do in my power to save myself. It was all on him, and it was just, I had to just believe that I was, um, I was, I was a sinner and that I had to believe that Christ was the only way to save me from that. Um, and that's when I accepted Christ um, and his death, burial, and resurrection for us. Uh, after that, I continued to grow in the word. Um, uh, we stayed in New Guinea until I was graduated high school. Uh, after that, I attended Bible school in Wisconsin, um, where not only was I able to convince a woman to marry me, but I was able to convince a beautiful, gorgeous, godly woman to marry me, Tracy, um, and stay with me. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, from there, we moved to Missouri where we started a family, and um, it's, I was never too challenged since then um, in my life. Um, I never really strayed off the path. I never really had that really low moment in my life um, for a consistent period of time. I had times of doubt and times of struggle and stuff like that throughout my life, but I never had that. But I was also never really fully challenged, and um, and once we came to Riverview about three years ago, uh, Spencer did that. Spencer came alongside, and he has a way of uh, pushing you um, and expecting more out of you than you think you can do, which is great, um, and it's it's been a huge blessing to me and my family and my wife, and I think, um, and I know it's true because Tracy says it is. Um, and, um, yeah, and since then we've just continued to glow, grow in the Word together as a family, and, and yeah. Thank you. Alan. The Renaissance man himself. <laughs> I was born at an early age as a Renaissance man, and I... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so, so the, the question is, what did your life look like before you met Christ? And then 
how did you meet Christ and then what did it look like afterwards. And I don't particularly, I don't have very many memories of, of before I met Christ. Um, I, I made a profession of faith when I was six years old, actually. Uh, but in thinking back on it, really, I met Jesus every single day uh, because I had a, a home where they trained me up in the word and in the gospel. And so, so I'm, that's just, I'm just so blessed. And, and it's, I love hearing every one of you guys' stories and, and how God like brings us towards himself in, in unique ways and, and uses our journey in that way. So for me, it was uh, raised in a home where my parents loved the Lord and my dad was a deacon at, at church uh, growing up, the multiple churches that we were part of throughout childhood. And um, at age six, I distinctly remember being on the swing set at the school playground and uh, swinging, and God just changed my heart. And I, and I, I knew as much as, as you can know at that age that I needed him and that I was broken and uh, that I wanted, I think, I think the way I conceived of it was that I wanted to be on his side of things. And, uh, and so I came home and told mom and dad that that evening and uh, was baptized a little while later. Actually, we made a move, and so I was baptized at our new church that we joined in San Antonio, Texas, is where I spent most of my growing up years. And um, uh, had some, some moments where I sought after other things in, in high school and in other times, but um, the Holy Spirit's conviction was always incredibly strong in my life, and, and God's presence was real and... Um, and so, so my memories of, of life really are mainly uh, after, after coming to Christ. Um, but even in the midst of that, various, obviously various struggles and growing pains and all those things. And uh, so after high school, I uh, traveled with a revival ministry for a couple of years and was a singer. And then uh, went to Dallas Baptist University and met this beautiful woman on the front row here. And um, we got married and, and did some ministry in Texas and then anyways landed here. And uh, and seemed very bizarre to, uh, if, if you didn't know all the nuances of it, to land at Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. Uh, in fact, I think you've said that about yourself as well. This is a this is a very random place to end up. It seems like sometimes. Um, it wasn't so much for me, but even still, it was never a place I envisioned I would live. I had obviously plenty of family here, and Dad grew up in the area, and um, my grandpa was a deacon here at the church, and so um, have some really special roots here, and and. A combination of those roots and, and, and clearly God working in our lives here and connecting us to our church family here at Riverview and calling us into deeper levels of service and, uh, and just some really great ways. Again, uh, even as Spencer has exhorted me to, to uh, carry the gospel uh, with the influence that I have in my various spheres to actually be intentional about leveraging that influence for Christ. And so um, it's been an amazing process to look back on my life and go, well, God guided my steps um, all along the way, even in the moments when I kind of tried to pull away the Spirit. The Spirit really pulled me back. And so, uh, yes, we're blessed, and, uh, and I'm excited about what the next day brings. I always love having quotes attributed to me. Uh, I uh, Actually, I should probably leave this on because I'm about to ask each of these men to come back up. You know, one of the things I'm thankful for as pastor here is the privilege of getting to hear testimonies of God's grace. It's very easy to think that, well, somebody's testimony's um, better or more dynamic or uh, whatever, but the reality is 
every single one of these men, that, that the stories they shared is actually something where we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God for taking people like these four guys and making them trophies of grace for his glory and his praise and his renown. So we want to continue this process. Please, again, church family, remember what we are doing in these moments as we're giving you an opportunity to hear from these men, to hear their testimony. But now we're going to move to a time of you hearing about their theology and what they believe about the Bible and about salvation. And again, this is with an eye to you installing and affirming these men into the office of deacon. So we're going to move formally now into the time of interrogation of these candidates, and I'm going to ask them each to come in turn. So Tim, would you please come first? And um, uh, Why don't you get right here? Yeah, the bright light. Yes, sir. Please get right there. Yeah, exactly. Interrogation is a strong word, but we uh, want to take this with a matter of, of the weight and the gravity of it, because again, um, you're going to hear from Tim in just a second here, but I want you to remember the reason we're doing this is to give you an opportunity to, with an informed view, install these men to the office of deacon, okay? So Tim, I have a few questions for you. I want you to answer for our folks so they can hear from you about what you believe. First, do you believe the Bible is God's word, inerrant and inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe the Bible is inerrant and sufficient? Yes. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Yes, I do. Do you believe that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Yes. Do you believe Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? Yes. Do you believe that on the third day, Jesus rose again? Yes. Do you believe that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Yes. Do you believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Yes, I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Uh, Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body? Yes. Do you believe in the life everlasting? Yes. Do you believe, Tim, that faith in Christ Jesus is the only way someone can be forgiven of their sins? Yes. Thank you very much. Jed Graham, please come forward, sir. I'll ask you the same series of questions. Do you believe the Bible is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe the Bible is inerrant and sufficient? Yes. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Yes. Do you believe that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Yes. Do you believe Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? Yes. Do you believe that on the third day Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and that he will come again one day to judge the living and the dead? Yes. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body? Yes. Do you believe in the life everlasting? Yes. Do you believe faith in Jesus Christ is the only way someone can be forgiven of their sins? The only way. Thank you. All right. Alan Walgamot, please come forward. I'm going to ask you the same questions. 
Do you believe that God, the Bible is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe the Bible is inerrant and sufficient? Yes. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Yes. Do you believe that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Yes. Do you believe Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? Yes. Do you believe that on the third day Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and that one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Yes. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins? Yes. Do you believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? Yes. Do you believe faith in Christ is the only way someone can be forgiven of their sins? Yes. Thank you very much. And last but not least, Mr. Bechtold. I'll ask you the same series of questions, Nathan. <clears throat> Do you believe the Bible is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe the Bible is inerrant and sufficient? I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and of earth? Yes. Do you believe that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Yes. Do you believe Christ Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? Yes. Do you believe that on the third day Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven? Absolutely. Do you believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Yes. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins? Yes. Do you believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? Yes. Do you believe that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way someone can be forgiven of their sins? Yes, I do. Thank you very much. Can we thank these men for sharing their beliefs? Now, as we continue to prepare you for this coming time of vote and setting aside, we're going to ask Ken Kell now to come and read the qualifications and the passages that are relevantly related to the office of deacon. Can you come and read for us? I'll be sharing two passages that pertain to the ministry of the office of deacon. The first one is taken from the sixth chapter of Acts, and it's the... Uh, first uh, seven verses, one through seven. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The next passage is found in 1 Timothy, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves worthy. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, non-slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. going to sing a couple more songs together. Would you stand with me? That's not the right song. Sorry. Well, we should do the same one. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we switch to the other song first? Thanks. Love, I know it's true. 
It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be? You, my King, will die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to Members of Riverview Baptist Church, I call the business meeting, the business session to order with one matter of business. 
It is the recommendation of the Deacon Ordination Council that these four men, Jed Graham, Tim Badalato, Alan Wolgamut, and Nathan Bechtold, be ordained as deacons of Riverview Baptist Church. All in favor, say aye. Any opposed, no. The ayes have it. Meeting adjourned. Acts chapter 6, I just want to briefly, and those are dangerous words for a preacher, but briefly uh, charge and challenge the men before us this, this evening that are being ordained. In many ways, what's just happened is our church has officially laid you men aside to this noble and worthy calling of the office of deacon. And it's important to answer this question succinctly, what is a deacon? In the day and age in which we're living, in which uh, uh, denominations are kind of fading away and churches are losing any kind of real consistency and firmness in their belief, it's important that we have a clear uh, understanding of what a deacon actually is. And here it is in just one statement. A deacon is an exemplary servant. A deacon is an exemplary, not a perfect, but an exemplary servant servant that shares the burden of ministry with pastors. And so what you've heard from these men this morning and what you've heard from our ordination council is that after testing these men, is talking to them, observing them, watching them, we do not believe that these men are perfect. If we wanted to know that, we'd have their wives follow them and share some of their deficiencies. We know they're not perfect, but we do hold these men before you this evening as men that are examples so that if I were to have someone walk up to me and say, what does it look like to try to lead my family? What does it look like to try to see my business as a ministry that God's given me? I could say, we've got some men in this church. We've got some families that I could point you to that aren't perfect. But they're examples that you could look to to see some of the way the biblical commands are there to be fleshed out. It's important, men, as you are walking into this process this evening to know that you are entering into a long line that has a rich heritage. I don't know if you noticed the names that Ken Kell read earlier as he was reading from Acts chapter 6, but one of the names that should have stuck out to you is the name Stephen. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read on in the account that Luke gives us in Acts, we know that Stephen was indeed the first martyr for the faith. He was a deacon. Deacons are often much maligned in Baptist churches, the deacons, you know. But deacons actually have the noble place of recognizing you are the first group of people to have a martyr come from your ranks in the history of the church. But there's something else you need to know, you four men that are looking at me and I'm looking at you. You are also entering into a rich heritage here in this church. You're entering into a fraternity, a line of men that include names like John de Graffenried. Harold Bechtold that was mentioned a moment ago, and men like Art Porter. You're entering into a line of men who have served this church faithfully. When I was 30 years old and this church called me to be their pastor, I confess to you I did not understand nor appreciate the depth of the service of men who've gone before us. But I understand it now, and I see it for what it is, and I see the legacy of people, not flashy, not fancy, 
not always having all the answers, but people that tirelessly serve the Lord, serve the church, and serve their families, often imperfectly, but served faithfully nonetheless. And you four men, you're entering into that line of men who've come before you. And I want to go on to that just for a moment to say, it's moments like this, church family, that I see these four men stepping up to lead and to be servants that I say, the Lord is blessing our church. Do you see that, church family? That these men are by no means perfect. But the fact that God is calling a new generation of young men to lead as servants and examples in this church is not a sign of our ability It's not a sign of our ingenuity, our processes, though we have them, though we work hard. These four men are the sign of God's favor and blessing on this church. And we need to give glory and thanks to God for that. Amen? Amen. But men, I do want to charge you this morning from Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read this again as Ken read some of these verses. And I'm going to give you three ways that deacons serve as examples. Three ways that deacons serve as examples. In the day and age in which the church was coming to bear, the church was multi-ethnic. There were Jewish people, Hebrew people of Hebrew descent, and there were Gentiles. And one of the challenges the early church faced was subtle favoritism that was easy to drift into towards the Jewish widows and families. And so a dispute came up. Imagine that a church with a dispute. This is not a new thing, right? But they had a dispute, and they said the the apostles, which we believe are forerunners in some ways to the function that pastors have for churches now, they were being distracted from the ministry of the word and prayer. And they said it's not right for us to try to drift into some of these other ministries and neglect the ministry of the word. What are we going to do? And so it was in Acts chapter 6 and verified in 1 Timothy chapter 3 with these qualifications that the origin of deacon was born. The deacon ministry was born as a way of coming alongside the ministry of pastors and serving with them. And can I just say, as I look at you four, I'm excited to serve with you guys. I don't just consider you leaders in our church or our model examples. I consider all four of you my friends, and I'm thankful for that. These men that are sitting before us, church family, are entering into a long line of men that were called to serve. And I want to show you three ways they were called to serve in this passage. Look at verse 2 as we see this come to a head. It says, The twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. Three ways, very quickly, that deacons are to serve. Number one, they are to serve with a good reputation. Nathan, Jed, Tim, and Alan, you are to be men of integrity. You are to be men that when you say something, we can count on you. That when you promise to do something, we know that you're going to do it. One of the ways that your reputation and your integrity shows itself is in the way that you lead and treat your families, the way that you are a model person of integrity and repute and above reproach with your families. I did not have the privilege of knowing your grandfather, Nathan, and Barry and Scott, your father, Harold, but I've heard stories about his faithfulness to his wife. 
and the way that um, as Faye was, her health was failing, the way he ministered to her and every day went to see her and love her. He was a person of integrity. He was a person of moral character and fiber and strength. This is an example of what a deacon is to be. He's to be a person that has a, an inward strength that's immovable because it's not based on your character or your ability. His immovable strength is based on his faith, the solid rock that is Christ Jesus. Listen to some verses from Proverbs and Psalms about integrity. Proverbs twenty-eight eighteen says, Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Gentlemen, Alan, Tim, Jed, and Nathan, you need to be people of integrity and consistency. What you say needs to be your bond. Number two, you're not only to serve with a good reputation, you're to serve alongside pastors. You're to help meet the needs in the life of the church. If you examine the differences between the qualifications of a deacon and a pastor, the notable difference is deacons are not required to be able to teach. However, they are required to be men who are willing to serve diligently. The word I love to use that we talk about here a lot at Riverview is men who are willing to own ministry. That is, when it's handed to you, it doesn't come back to somebody else. That when you're given a task, you take it and you fulfill it to its completion. You relieve pastors by doing this. You help unburden the pastoral ministry of this church. Another way that you serve with pastors is by praying for them. Nathan, Jed, and Tim, and Alan... I pray that you would lift up the pastors and the leadership of this church and the ministry of this church daily. And finally, one of the ways that you serve with pastors is by encouraging them. You encourage pastors. Listen to Ephesians 4.29 as it talks about this kind of encouragement and service. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When I think about serving with pastors and encouraging and praying for and relieving pastors, I think about a man like Art Porter. Art Porter was a man who served decades selflessly, faithfully, uh, leading our bus ministry in this church to reach children in this community. It's not infrequent. It's regular for us to meet somebody in this community that says, I rode the bus and I was picked up by Art Porter. He came and talked to my parents and invited me to come to church. That kind of faithful service of leading a ministry and owning that kind of outreach to our community is something you guys are called to. Gentlemen, Alan, Tim, Jed, and Nathan, you guys are called to serve with pastors, helping share the burden and load of ministry. But thirdly and finally, you are to be men that are serving full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You're to be men that have a close walk with the Lord. A couple of you mentioned that I have pushed you in various ways. Um, and while I have been at times reminded that sheep are not pushed, I do know that one of my callings as a pastor is to challenge men. I think men are under-challenged in our churches, if I'm just being candid with you as a body. We've dumbed things down to the point that uh, we, we're afraid to challenge anyone, afraid to push them. But you four have been pushed. All four of you have in various ways. 
before you met me, especially as I've gotten to know you, I've been able to invest and minister to you. Men, guard your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Find your identity in Christ and the influence God gives you, starting with your family, moving out to the world. Leverage that for Christ. Stephen, the first deacon, it was described as being full of the Holy Spirit. And if you read on, Stephen's speech and his communication of the gospel was so compelling, so challenging, that the only thing that they could do was to kill him, to silence him. I want you to listen to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to the fruit of the Spirit, men. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. When I think about men full of the Spirit and wisdom, I think about that third name I mentioned. I think about John the Graffenreed. I had the privilege of officiating John's funeral, and I remember looking at him in the face in some of his final days. He knew the end was coming, and I began to try to console him and talk to him about death and and what he knew and how he could trust what he knew. And he looked at me with this confidence in his face, and he said, Spencer, I'm not afraid of dying. And the reason he said that is because his faith, his walk with the Lord was such that he knew who he believed in. And he believed with confidence that it would see him through. Nathan, Jed, Tim, and Alan, you are to be men who have a wisdom and a fullness of the Spirit that comes from a walk with God that is close. I'm going to invite these four men now to come. I'm going to ask you guys to come and sit in these four chairs. We're going to ask your wives to come and stand behind you. We believe deacons and wives are a team. And at this time, if you are uh, someone who's been ordained, a man who's been ordained here this evening, in a few moments, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to ask you to line up here to my left. And we're going to come to a time of laying on of hands over these men. And this time of laying on of hands is actually something that we are continuing from the book of Acts. It says that they set these men aside and they prayed and they laid their hands on them for the ministry that God has called them to. So if you are ordained and you're in that position, you'd be willing to pray. As soon as I finish praying for these men, would you please come? Father God, we thank you for these men. We thank you for the ministry and the office of deacon and the ministry you've called them to. God, we pray now that in this time of laying on of hands, that you would continue to solidify the calling they have to be a deacon, and you would ordain the ministry and bless the ministry that you've called them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for that sweet time. I'm going to ask the couples to go ahead and sit back in your seats, if you would, just for a moment. As Todd Shockley comes and now turns his attention to you as the congregation to give a charge to you. Todd, you come. Thank you, Spencer. Um, a couple quick things. What you said about the heritage of this church um, just made me look back in the front cover of this Bible. And this is the Bible that I received in 1992 in my ordination service. And I get to read the names of the men of part of that council. And I just want to share with you, my heart's so full. God is so good. To look and see what God is doing in the lives of each of these individual men and their wives and their family, God is faithful. And he is good. And uh, this is the first time I've been asked to give a charge And so I was like, what's really a charge? And I know that we're not talking about an amount to be paid for a goods or service. Um, I know we're not talking about a matter of electricity. Um, But Webster defined it as a requirement or obligation. And I thought, well, when I think of a requirement, I think of obedience. And then the very next thing that comes to mind, when we talk about obedience to the Lord, our motivation is love. If you love me, you'll obey. So my charge to you is how we will love them. So I'm going to ask for us to love them in four specific ways. And, and this, this comes from both in Timothy and in the whole of God's word. And so um, I first want us to <clears throat> remember to esteem, to hold in high regard this position or place, this responsibility and role as deacon. And as a church, Riverview, we've done that tonight in the sense that we've, we've set apart a service specially to set you apart. But in just a moment, individually, I'm going to ask you to remember to esteem their role and responsibility, hold in high regard that role. The second thing that the scriptures would encourage us to do is to encourage them. It says that we're to encourage one another daily in the Lord and that we're to rejoice in times of rejoicing, we're to weep. In times of weeping, we're to share and to care. So I'm going to charge you, church, that we encourage both them and their spouses and families. And then it it describes later in Timothy, in chapter 5, if something were to arise, a concern or an offense, it says that we're not to sharply rebuke, but we're to appeal. So I would ask that we would go to them if that were the situation in such a way as it says, if it's an older man, that we would go as a father to a father or to a younger man as a brother, but we would appeal. We're not to criticize. Our words should be of encouragement, support, and, uh, and appreciation. So in that respect, and then finally, I'm going to ask us that we would remember to continually pray for them in their role of deacon and for their role of leading their families. And so, church, um, if you so desire, please stand at this time. And for each of those commitments and those ways that we, uh, I'm going to ask you to love on them, I just would uh, ask you to respond with, I will. I promise to love these men and their families by holding in high regard their role and responsibility as deacon. And I promise to love these men and their families by encouraging them in the Lord, by caring for them, and by sharing in their joys and sorrows, supportive and speaking well of them always. 
and I promise to love them by sharing the concern or offense if that should arise and appealing to them as a father or a brother as the case may dictate. And finally, I promise to love them by lifting them up in prayer with passion, fervently, consistently, asking God's blessing and provision as they serve among us. Thank you, church. All right. Ken Kell, would you help me for a moment? You may be seated just for a second. We're finished with this. Would you help me get these certificates out to these men? I want to come to a time now of formally presenting these men. We have sought this evening not to contrive some position on our own upon these men. We've sought to, in agreement with the Lord, set these side men apart for ministry. And now we're firmly going to present them to you for deacon ministry. First, I want to ask Nathan Bechtold and Kate, if you guys would come forward. Just stand next to your chair there. Can you get, yeah, I'll take, we have a Bible for you and a certificate of ordination. Can we celebrate with Nathan and Kate their ordination in the deacon ministry? Walgamot's next. Alan and Tracy Walgamot, would you guys come forward, please? Stand next to here to Nate and Kate next to this chair. Alan, I want to give you this certificate of ordination and this Bible for you. Can we celebrate with Alan and Tracy to the office of ordination? Next, I'd like to ask Jed and Jenny Graham to come forward at this time. We have a Bible for you and a certificate of ordination. Can we celebrate with the Graham family this evening? Finally, last but not least, Tim Badalotto, would you please come and uh, have us give you the certificate of ordination and this Bible as a recognition of that. Can we celebrate with Tim and Sarah what God's doing in their lives? Ken Kell, would you come back up here? and uh, Jim Wright, there you are. Jim Wright, come on back up. I, was, I lost Jim for a second there. John Bussey's not feeling well tonight. And so Jim agreed to step in and uh, offer our benediction. When Jim is finished praying, uh, we hope you'll join us with these sweet families in the multipurpose room for a time of reception. Don't forget to pick up your kiddos downstairs if you have them down there. Jim, pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you this evening for this time that you've given us to come and gather together. And, and Lord, just to set apart these men for ministry, we just want to thank you for them. We want to thank you for their lives. Lord, we want to thank you for their eagerness to serve you. Lord, we just pray that, that you will keep your hand on each one of them as they minister and they work for you. And they're faithful, Lord. Just, just strengthen them and guide them. And, and Lord, just always keep them close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.